Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, I'm Mario Taniguzzi, and this is Saskatchewan's podcast on Canada's Podcast Network. Joining me today is Christian Hebert, who is managing partner of Hebert Grain Ventures. Thanks for joining us today, uh, Christian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mario. Well, let me just start by asking you what exactly uh, Hebert Grain Ventures is and what uh, what do you do? I mean, our, our main operating business is a grain farm in southeast Saskatchewan located in Mooseman. So we, you know, we grow wheat, canola, barley, peas, oats, and, and hybrid rye. Um, kind of, I've had a fairly quick growth rate, I guess. I got home from university in 04 and did my CPA and moved back to the farm in about 08. Like we were cropping maybe 3,000 acres then, and we'll put in right around 30,000 this year. So we got a couple other arms. We got a risk and management consulting arm out of Saskatoon called Maverick Ag, and and then kind of sit on a number of advisory boards, all to do with agriculture, ag tech, and farm management. All right, super. So, and where does your product go? Uh, so most of our products, I mean, depends on the crop. Canola, we're pretty lucky in Canada. We got a bunch of crushing plants in Yorkton, and obviously a bunch more announced in Regina. So a lot of the value add is done right in the province of Saskatchewan. You know, a lot of our malt barley goes into into maltsters in either Manitoba or Saskatchewan, and and a lot of the wheat is shipped, you know, by train out to the coast and then overseas. Okay, super. Then, and and how long have you been doing this uh, uh, with the the grain ventures? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up on the farm, as I said, and then uh, went away to university. I can't say that I was planning on coming back to the farm. It was more the the business side of farming drew me to it more than farming. So um, we launched. Uh, yeah, partnership with my parents, my wife and I did in 2009 and kind of technically launched Hebert Grain Ventures. But the, the original fields, you know, we've been farming since my dad was 10 years old. All right. Super. Um, I, I understand that you uh, have a philosophy regarding sustainability and sustainable practices. And in fact, uh, you recently um, named a climate positive leader. First of all, talk can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what your philosophy is when it comes to that? Yeah, so, I mean, we've had kind of a long-term legacy statement, you know, that, that basically says generation after generation, we need to improve our land, our financial statements and the industry. Um, and, you know, so I think sustainability and regenerative agriculture and climate change are all really good buzzwords that, that marketing companies and the government are currently using. But I think agriculture, you know, has been pretty focused on the sustainability, especially of its land for, for decades and centuries. I mean, it's the only way we can grow good crops is to continue to improve. Yeah. Now, do, do we learn new things every, every decade of new practices we need to implement to continue to be better? Absolutely. But it's been forefront in our management practices forever. Can you, can you maybe list off some of, some of the things you do that you would consider sustainable practices on, on the farm there? Yeah, so we've soil sampled forever on four acre grids, literally trying to understand every four acres of our operation and how to treat it differently. And that when it comes to how we fertilize it, you know, how we harvest it, completely how we manage it on little blocks. We use, you know, variable rate fertilizer is where you change the rate of fertilizer you're giving to each point in the farm based on what it can actually have for an output and yield. Sectional control on most of the equipment which allows it to never overlap. So we don't double apply fertilizer or chemical anywhere. It automatically shuts off on any area it's applied, which obviously is better for plants. It's better for runoff, et cetera. And then, you know, zero till is something that Western Canada especially should be pretty proud of. It's been a 
and what I would call almost a normal practice for at least a decade, even longer, that allows the organic matter to build up and leaves a lot more of the, you know, the stubble and, and byproducts of the crop to get put back into the soil versus a lot of other countries don't implement that practice. Mm, okay. Now, uh, I understand that uh, uh, you uh, operate with um, uh, EOS, so Entrepreneurial Operating System. Can you explain that and uh, what that means and uh, why that's important for you? I mean, I think all small businesses, especially especially ones at high growth, kind of struggle with the growth, right? It, we, As an entrepreneur, we always wonder sometimes if we're, are we chasing success or creating a monster? And so... You know, when I was younger, my dad wasn't able to show up at hockey practices after I was about 12 or 13 years old because it had almost turned into a monster. And, and so we worked together to ensure we didn't do it again. So that, that's where we found EOS. There's a book called Traction wrote by Gino Wickman and a couple other books that he's wrote that take you down the process. But more or less, it's an operating system for small businesses that allows you to still move really fast, but, you know, have goals. They call them rocks and, and have good communication and accountability right through your organization. I, you know, I kind of, I kind of explained it like the iPhone, right? If it didn't have the background of iOS, none of your apps would work. They, they wouldn't talk to each other. And so EOS is, you know, to me, it's a bit of a play on words. It's an entrepreneurial operating system to allow the business to thrive. And really it's, it's to maximize your people because they're all focused on a common goal. Okay. Where, and what are you uh, thinking of in terms of the future for, uh, with, uh, grain ventures? Uh, uh, what are your, uh, plans and goals, I guess, uh, as you look into the uh, coming years? Yeah. So, you know, we have 10 year targets and we break them right back into three year targets and then, and then honestly into quarters. And so every, every goal we have is, is certain aspects we have to accomplish every quarter. So I would say, if you talk to myself or any of my team, we, we don't plan on slowing down growth. I mean, we kind of feel that if you're not growing, you're dying, especially in today's world where inflation doesn't appear that it's going to stay around two or 3%. We probably need to have a growth rate higher than that. It, yeah. it just won't all be in, in crop farming, right? We have a consulting division and an insurance division. And, you know, we just, just are in the process of forming a foundation to help with a bunch of community type projects. So our, you know, our growth won't be focused completely on acres. But we're definitely very focused on growing our business and growing our bottom line in order to allow our, you know, our, not only our business, but our team and our community to thrive. All right. Super. Now, yeah, you mentioned before that you, you came back to the farm, but uh, I'm just wondering when you went off to university and, uh, you know, you, you entered into the world of commerce and, uh, and finance and all that stuff, like what, what were your thinking that you were going to do uh, before you decided the Lord of the farm brought you back? <laughs> well, originally, actually, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had decent marks. So kind of some career counselors had me focus on medicine. So I took pre-med and wrote wow. the test to get into medicine and realized that I hated it. You know, I hadn't even taken a, you know, a class on a human body yet. So I came <laughs> home and was talking with my dad and said, you know, I, I think I might take agronomy and and come home to farm. And, and it was more or less him pushed me towards, you know, I can teach you how to farm, but the business side is growing really, really fast and farms are turning into large businesses. They're not just little farms anymore. So maybe try business. And so I took business classes the next year and really enjoyed them kind of majored in accounting and finance, and then did my articling with Myers Norris Penny and did my, got my CPA. And it was in my time with Myers Norris Penny that I probably made the decision to come home to farm full time. And that, you know, I thought there was a lot of opportunities in agriculture in the next 10, 20, even 50 years. Okay. 
So, Christian, uh, uh, growing up as a kid and growing up on the farm, uh, what kind of lessons do you think you learned uh, uh, working on the farm, growing up on the farm that that are good now and, and have been helpful now as a business uh, uh, person? Yeah, you know, I think the first one is probably the term grits or, you know, one of our values we have on the farm now is can't isn't an option, right? It's just a challenge. And so I think we were pretty lucky on the farm that, you know, dad owned the business. And if mother nature decided it was going to rain too much or snow, we, you can't just not go out to work that morning because cows still need to be fed and crops still need to be grown. So we were, we were taught at a young age that you can't use the word can't and you can't use the word never. They're just challenges that might take more work or a different idea to get around, but there's ways to accomplish it. And usually it's with the help of others, you know, surrounding yourself with a good team. Uh, I think the other one probably is, you know, it really, it really drove into me a win-win philosophy of if you want to have a good team around you, you have to be focused on win-win results, right? It has to be better for everybody, not just for you as the entrepreneur. And that's the same with, you know, the partnerships we have with those that, you know, we rent land from or supply us parts, et cetera. It needs to be treated more like a partnership than a win-lose type relationship, or you just won't have any longevity to it. What about being an entrepreneur, uh, Christian? What, uh, let's, let's start with the, the positive side of things. What do you like about being an entrepreneur and uh, a business owner? Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest positives is if you like to bet on yourself, right? You have nobody else to blame in most cases, right? A lot of the, a lot of the decisions and the, and and the outcomes rely completely on you, right? It, it, it's, a, it's your passion and you have to surround yourself with really good people to get there, but you, you really can't blame too much on other people. Um, so the accountability is something that I like, you know, I, I, we kind of deem it, we, we really enjoy to solve puzzles. I, I don't think there is many new ideas in the world today. I think we meet different people and we take little puzzle pieces from each person to, to build the perfect puzzle for our business or us as an entrepreneur. And to me, that's, that is one of the most positive pieces. Um, I also like that, you know, if it's in your hands to build your business correctly, if you want to have time with your kids, yeah. right? So we hear some entrepreneurs that, you know, can't coach, you know, can't go on trips, et cetera. And in my mind, that's just a hundred percent on you in that, don't get me wrong. I work significantly more than I ever did when I was on a T4, but I have control of my calendar most months of the year that if I want to go to my daughter's horse show at noon or coach hockey at three 30, I can move my calendar around in order to accomplish that. Yeah. On the flip side of things, uh, you know, what uh, are not so positive uh, about being an entrepreneur? I, I would really say there's only two kind of challenges that I, you know, maybe think about. One is that, you know, as our payroll gets higher and higher, it's the one I don't I don't feel stressed very often. But the one thing I maybe get nervous about occasionally is just how many people rely on our business, you know, to provide for their family. Yeah. And so, you, you know, it's one thing to make a bad decision to hurt yourself or your own business. But if I ever got to the point that I had to, you know, let go really good team members, that would bother me. Luckily so far we haven't ever, but it, it is a worry. And, and secondly, you know, I struggle sometimes with a bit of the challenge with the percent of the population that actually just simply flat out doesn't understand entrepreneurship. They, they feel that it's very similar to, to working for a normal, you know, Monday to Friday T4 job and, and it's really hard to relate when it comes to discussing the risks and the finance and, you know, and the ups and the downs that, that not only the entrepreneur, but his, his or her family goes through. And so, I, you know, I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can get pretty lonely. 
Yeah. If if, um, if if you had somebody that uh, was young coming up to you and asking you about being an entrepreneur and advice, uh, uh, what would you give them in terms of advice? I mean, my my biggest piece of advice is, you know, I, I think the best entrepreneurs are addicted to the game. Right. They're not addicted to money. They're not addicted to, you know, having a nice car or, or being able to control their calendar. They're, they're yeah. literally addicted to the game of business that they've decided to play. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of remind, we played lots of hockey when we were younger. And I mean, I'd have played hockey 20 hours a day when I was 10 years old and nobody had to pay me to do it. I just loved it. Right. I was passionate about it. It gave me purpose. I was part of a team. And, and I think the best entrepreneurs are the same way, right? They still have that heart of a, of a 12 or a 15 year old kid playing their favorite sport. They, some days they don't even realize that there's millions of dollars at risk. They're just, they're just addicted to playing the game. And, and usually the outcome is in their favor. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. So as you uh, look back, uh, you know, uh, on your journey here of being an entrepreneur, <clears throat> did, did you have any mentors uh, that helped you along the way uh, or or even, I don't know, books that you read or, or examples that you followed uh, other successful entrepreneurs? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think education is a critical piece of entrepreneurship and, and I don't think you're going to have one book be the Holy Grail or one mentor, but as an entrepreneur, you have to continually focus on education and, and moving your own, you know, personal forward in order to keep leading. So, yeah. you know, I, I took some really good courses. I went to a, a course down at Texas A&M called TPAP, the executive program for agriculture producers and I'm part of a I'm part of a coaching group out in Toronto called the Strategic Coach that's been really good. As you mentioned, we we implemented EOS. I probably read two to four books a month, depending on the month of the year. And they're I'm not a I'm not a fairy tale book guy. I pretty much read all business books. So you know things such as the Five AM Club and Good to Great and the E Myth Principle. You know they they all still sit beside my bed. I'm reading one right now called Indistractable that just talks about how all the companies out there are finding ways to distract us. That's how they make their money. And so how do we set our life up to be indistractable? Um, so yeah, constant reading when it comes to mentors, I think you try to find them on different areas of your life. So not only do we have mentors, we have advisors for our companies that I think, you know, see the future slightly different than maybe the normal to help kind of guide some of my principles and, and maybe call me out if they think I'm pushing the principles too far one way or the other past black or white. So, you know, I think you always want to surround yourself with with different types of people, right? You don't just want mentors that think the way you do because it'll leave you open to a blind spot. But, you know, I just I think you want to surround yourself with mentors, with friends and with education that help round out your leadership style. All right. Super. Now, obviously, we all know that, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur in many ways is a 24-7 job. Uh, how would you describe what your work-life balance is? Yeah. I'd probably have to call it more like work-life integration. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, from the outside looking in, I coach both my kids hockey. So, I mean, all winter I'm, I'm at the rink by, you know, four 30 most days and and there for two or three hours every day, which, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would probably struggle with. And even some people in eight to five jobs would have a hard time getting off at four to go coach hockey. So can we make, can I make time for the really important stuff? Absolutely. Um, do, is there days where I, you know, work till two o'clock in the morning and start again at six or get up at five or six most days? And absolutely there is. But 
I think the hardest part for a pure work-life balance for an entrepreneur is if you set your business up right, you literally do only work on things you love doing, right? So step one, I would always say, uh, I made a mistake quite a few times when I was younger that we don't make anymore is that if I find good people, I hire them. And then we find work afterwards. Entrepreneurs are really good at finding enough work for everybody, but usually they find way too much work, they burn out and then they hire people, which tends to be the wrong person because your your back's against the wall. So the one rule we follow, you know, pretty closely now is that if we ever have access or or see a good person that we want, we find a way to hire them and then we build the work around them. So that that's really allowed us to delegate and kind of elevate our our business structure a lot more simply or simpler than we used to in the past. And then, you know, I also find too, the more you delegate, you know, the more stuff you work on that you're passionate about, but it's also higher level. So I probably get, I probably get more tired quicker than I used to because I had, you know, I had tasks that maybe weren't at my level that I was still doing before because we hadn't hired the right people. But for me, those were almost a break because they weren't necessarily real mentally draining. Or now most of the stuff I work on is pretty mentally draining. So, uh, you know, I, I find that I actually hit points in time in the day now that I have to stop and and head home and play some mini sticks and go for a run or whatever, just to, to kind of revamp up to get onto the next hard task. Yeah. Do you find it hard? You know, I've had this discussion recently with another entrepreneur just about, you know, you talked about delegating, right? And uh, uh, is it hard when you own your own business to let go and let other people do their job? So absolutely. I understand how that can be hard and and why I would say as entrepreneurs, one thing we tend to do is underspend on team members. So, so when delegating is tough is when you've hired somebody that simply isn't ready for the position you're about to delegate to. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we want to feel that we're the smartest at everything. So we almost, and then we're a little bit cheap because it's our own money. So we, we actually hire somebody that's underqualified for the position. I would say that every time that I've overspent on people and hired people that are, I would say, almost overqualified, I've been so surprised at how fast I can delegate to, to be honest, how there's large parts of my business that they're just, they're just simply better than me at, right? My, my, uh, my COO is phenomenal at, at HR, and it was a part that frustrated me. Not that I, I, I really like being around the team and building culture, but kind of the little normal day-to-day complaints or wins I... I just didn't have enough time to deal with them all. And he's really good at it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a CPA that has a full-time CFO who's a CPA because I kind of joke that I'm a recovering accountant, right? I don't really enjoy spending hours on a spreadsheet and he does. So but I think it's just ensuring that you really hire people that are qualified for what you're about to delegate and not only qualified, probably better than you. So that after you delegate a few times, I mean, you almost enjoy the outcomes because they're, they're better and, and more in depth than what you would have done. All right, super. So, Christian, I'm, uh, just before we uh, finish off here, I just want to ask you a couple of uh, things about where you live, uh, like Musiman. Uh, can you maybe describe that area of the province? Yeah, so Musiman's the town right on the number one highway. It's only, you know, 15 miles from the Manitoba border. It's right beside Nutrien's biggest potash mine. So okay. it's a community of about 3,500 people, but the 50-kilometer trading radius, radius is probably 65,000. So it acts a lot, a lot bigger than it is. Uh, we live on an acreage just south of town, about 20 kilometers. Uh, it's actually where my dad grew up. I bought my grandpa's farm from him. And that's wow. uh, that's where my wife and kids and I live and spend a lot of time, you know, 
playing sports, especially hockey and, and horses. I got a little girl that uh, that's addicted to horses. And <laughs> so we have, you know, we, we have a lot of fun being outside and, and playing sports and spending time with horses. And what do you like about uh, being from Saskatchewan and the province of Saskatchewan? You know, I think the one thing about Saskatchewan is that it, it's almost got a bit of an underdog syndrome, right? When it comes to not only our country, but maybe around the world. And, and I think Saskatchewan people in general have kind of grabbed that by the horns and almost thrive on it, right? So there's, I find that the entrepreneurial com- community is in, you know, it's really enjoyable to visit with. And there's a lot of people that are, that are rooting for each other to be successful and have success in Saskatchewan. And, you know, it, it's no different than when we were all playing sports. I think there's a little less pressure if you're the underdog. And yeah. sometimes that does, you know, that does unleash a little more potential or we always kind of joke, right? It, it allows common people to achieve uncommon results. So that's, that's something that I'd say is pretty unique about Saskatchewan. I, you know, you know, um, obviously I, you know, I have a personal interest because my, my wife's from Saskatchewan, but, but I always find that there's a sense of pride there, no matter where you are, you know, uh, whether you're in Calgary or whether you're in Moose Jaw or whether you're in, uh, you know, uh, Toronto, uh, if you're from Saskatchewan, that pride never leaves you, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's why the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are, are almost a national team, right? Is yeah. you're right. It, it, people are even if they're not still there. There's definitely no shame in saying you're born or or you're from Saskatchewan. And like I said, I, I think it has a little bit tied to that kind of underdog status, and that we're that we're a little bit gritty. And and I kind of joke about our value of their can't isn't an option. I mean, it, when we're when we're looking for people and people apply, I'm not going to lie to you. We lean heavily to those you know, those from rural Saskatchewan, especially, and that have a team sports background because they understand how to work together. They understand that, you know, quitting isn't an option. It's, you know, it's just a challenge and that you rally together in order to, to, to reach results. And so I think that, I think, I think you'd see that across the country too, that, you know, rural Saskatchewan, especially are people that, that most companies are looking to hire. Yeah, exactly. And they've uh, got that work ethic and uh, everything about, you know, uh, working hard, and uh, that's great. So uh, thanks very much, uh, Christian, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Christian Hebert, who is managing partner of Hebert Green Ventures. I'm Mario Taniguzzi. This has been Saskatchewan's podcast on Canada's Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today.